0: I feel like I'm going to be a real uh, party pooper uh, this, this evening, having had your thanksgiving service and having a, had a baptism, I don't know if you noticed in the passage that we're dealing with the topics of submission and suffering, which I'm sure are topics that we all really rejoice to talk about. It can be difficult, but there's uh, good lessons for us to learn. So if you have your bibles open at 1st Peter chapter 2 that's on page 1218 I would say it's fair to say that rebelling against authority and a struggle for a, a willingness to, to submit is part of our national character it's probably part of human nature you just need to think of the expectations for teenagers you know, it's almost like it's the equivalent of a bar mitzvah. When you're 13, you're expected all of a sudden to just go wild. You know, that's, that's the expectations. Sometimes even parents expect it. Children are basically brought up with that notion that the teen years are going to be years full of rebellion. You're probably more of a rebel if you respect your parents. The reality is, is so prevalent True story, there was a, a baby born in Edinburgh who was given the middle name Beowulf so that when he was 15 and decided to grow his hair long and to be known as Wolf, he'd be ready for it. That's the extent to which a kind of rebellion and a struggle to submit is endemic to our society. You know, students, we live in the Occupy generation now where there are protests in a lot of our nation's cities, it's, you know, it's, it's good to, to fight against the man and to protest injustices and then you become the man and you find that everybody else doesn't like you when you become all middle class and respectable. But there is that, it's almost like a coming of age thing. You're supposed to be a rebel as a teenager, you're supposed to protest as a student, as an employee. You're supposed to, of course, know better than your boss how things work. When you look at government and at politics, well, of course, we're all far better equipped to deal with the problems of our nation than our prime minister and our politicians. It's just a feature of life. And it's a feature that makes its way into the church as well. There is a growing trend for people to dislike the idea of church membership because people don't like the idea of somebody in the church claiming authority over them. Who is a minister or who are a group of elders to exert discipline? on my life. And so people resist full commitment to the church because of that. People are much less willing to listen to the wisdom of elders and ministers and mature Christians because we don't like this idea of submitting to authority. It's true to say that we are sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. You know, when we think back to the garden, that was exactly the same problem that our first parents had that they lived in this perfect world and and God gave them rules and laws to live by and if they obeyed then life would be great but the devil came and said you know what, you really have it within you to know better than God and and instead of listening to God you should really just set your own path and, and just do your own thing and so they failed to submit, they decided to rebel and it's now a human problem. So when we come to 1 Peter chapter 2 and Peter tells the church submit yourselves it's not something that we're going to take to easily perhaps but it's a, a hard and a necessary lesson that we need to learn. What is the general principle behind submitting according to Peter? Look with me again at verse 13. He sets out the general principle there. He says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. I don't know if you can remember a few weeks ago, we looked at the first section of 1 Peter chapter 2 and it talked about the importance of the church being founded on Christ. And as they were founded on Christ, they were supposed to live such good lives among the pagans that the pagans would give glory to God. And so now Peter is getting to the practicalities. What does that good life look like? And here Peter says it looks like submitting to authority. It looks like maintaining public morality. It looks like submitting to the authorities in all kinds because it says submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men which means that if we're children we have parents that we are to submit to for the Lord's sake if we are pupils or students we have teachers and lecturers that we submit to for the Lord's sake if we are in employment we have employers who we submit to for the Lord's sake if we're citizens the rules of government if we are in the church We submit to God and his word and the elders that he has appointed to be over his church. The implications are widespread. And maybe you have an objection. Maybe you're saying to Peter, well, Peter, that's all very well for you to say that back in the day when everything was so simple. But Peter, you don't know what." my parents are like or you don't know what my boss is like he's a real tyrant and he is corrupt or peter lived in the days of emperor nero peter lived in the days he wrote this letter when persecution of the church was just beginning peter told the church to respect an emperor who would be the one who would have peter crucified. He knows how hard it can be to submit and yet he says it's a responsibility for us in the church. Specifically he says in verse 13 we are to submit to the king as the supreme authority recognizing, of course, that authority is derived from God. So this Emperor Nero, as corrupt as he was, was to be given respect because he'd been put there by God. The same for us with our government. In verse 14, there's supposed to be respect to the governors who are sent by the emperor, the king, to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. The governors were those who, in everyday life, were the ones who had the highest authority they were kind of the provincial rulers, they made the decisions for the different localities, but these weren't necessarily known as being great guys, they were known for their corruption and their exploitation, but yet Peter says, because it's their job to preserve public order and morality, and because they've been appointed by a king who's been given authority by God, you are to respect them and you are to submit to them even though a lot of what they do, you would disagree with. And it gets even more difficult for us when it gets down to verse 18, because the next category that the church is told to submit to is slave masters. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Peter can write to a church and say, You may have a boss, a slave master, who treats you as subhuman. You may have a boss who just regards you as a piece of property that he can use until eventually you die because you've been overworked. Even if you have that kind of boss, you're still supposed to submit and you're still supposed to show respect. Even if you are being abused. So we can see from these examples, when we think back to Peter's context of the Roman Empire and the persecution that was hitting the church and the difficulties between corruption, exploitation and abuse of employees, that this principle of submission for the Lord's sake is a costly one for a Christian. It's not something that necessarily comes easily. And so we need to ask ourselves, well, why, why bother? Why don't we just revolt? Why don't we rebel when we see injustice or when we find ourselves with an authority figure that we don't like? Why don't we just rebel? Or why don't we take revenge? Why isn't Peter telling these slaves, find yourself a Spartacus figure who can lead a rebellion and uprising and maybe try and assert the rights of the slaves by force? Well, that's why the second part of the principle of submission is so important. You're not just submitting for the sake of it. You're submitting for the Lord's sake. Look with me at verse 15. It says there, For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. So the situation facing this church that Peter was writing to Is the same situation that the us as Christians in the UK are facing. The the most common source of persecution or difficulty, whatever you want to call it, is in terms of slander. People speaking badly of the Christian faith. When Peter is writing, the Christian church is still very new. This religion hasn't been around for very many years and there is general suspicion. The the Roman authorities were hearing the Christians talking about Jesus Christ being Lord and they were thinking to themselves, well hold on, the emperor is the one who's supposed to have your allegiance, the emperor is the one you're supposed to think of as God and so they were treated as rebels. They were very Uh, people were very suspicious of them because of that. They heard this talk about the Lord's Supper and they heard about Christ's body and Christ's blood and they thought the Christians were cannibals and they were really suspicious of this new group. They were regarded as antisocial. They were regarded as a danger. That began with the emperor and worked its way through government and just to general society. Christians and Christianity had a very bad reputation. And so Peter in verse 15 is saying to them, as you submit, as you show honor and respect, as you fail to live up to the stereotype that they've built up, then their foolish talk is silenced. There's opportunities for the gospel. There's opportunities for God's name to be glorified as you live for God in those difficult circumstances. In verse 17, he gives almost a a pyramid of honor. He says, show proper respect to everyone. That's a general principle that as Christians, we believe that every person is made in the image of God. So everybody is highly valued in God's sight and we show them proper dignity. But there is still a hierarchy here described by Peter He says show respect to everyone then love the brotherhood people in the church get respect but they also get love because we talk about the church being like a family but then we're told to fear God to recognize God is the ultimate and then it's like we slide back down the other side of the pyramid honor the king see for the Romans the king was right at the top in the Roman Empire the king was the emperor was thought of as divine But Peter reminds the church, God is your ultimate authority. God is the one who we must always submit to. So when you think about submitting to other authorities, there is always that qualification that you submit only so far as they don't ask you to break God's law. So Peter would say, you can submit to an abusive boss, a corrupt boss, until they ask you to have corrupt business practices and then you say, well, I can't go along with that. You can show some kind of respect to people even when they're doing things that are wrong, but you cannot go along with their wrongdoing. So there is always that qualification, but nevertheless, Peter is very clear, we submit to authorities even when we find that difficult. And maybe we find ourselves objecting again, thinking, well, hold on, I thought Christianity was all about freedom in Christ. So why am I being told to submit to authorities? Peter answers that objection in verse 16. He says, live as free men. So yes, Christianity is about freedom, but it's a particular kind of freedom. He says, do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil live as servants of God. So Peter is saying you're not free to become political rebels. If you find that you don't like the political system or the government that you're under, Peter is saying that the answer isn't to become zealots and to try and overthrow it by force. That's not the freedom Peter is talking about. Nor is he talking about a freedom to just go wild, to live without any kind of rules or any kind of order. Christianity isn't about, oh, well now I'm saved, I can just do whatever I want to do. He says that's not the freedom that I'm talking about. We are free. We're free from sin and self and we're free from the power of the devil. But he tells us we're free to become servants of God. That's what our freedom is all about. That's what we were made. We were made to be in a relationship with God where we honour him, where we worship him, where we serve him. And so Christian freedom is about submitting ourselves to God. And our freedom is about becoming a servant. So let me ask you two questions. First of all, in your situations... Are you submitting to authority? That's going to look different for each one of us because we're all in very different contexts. But are you submitting to authority? And beyond that, is that submission something that is done grudgingly because you have to, because you're fearful for losing your job? Or are you submitting for the Lord's sake, do you see that as we live honoring people showing respect to people submitting to people god is glorified and there are gospel opportunities so that's the general principle we submit for the lord's sake what about if submission brings suffering is this the point where we can say well actually I'm not going to submit now because it's going to make my life difficult. Well, Peter would say, no. Read with me verse 20. He says, how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Peter is saying to the church, if you're going to suffer, Make sure that suffering is unjustified and not justified. Make sure if you suffer that you're not giving people good reason for you to be suffering. So what does it, you know, what does justified suffering look like? Well, Peter says, you know, you receive a beating for doing wrong. Sometimes we just make mistakes so if you are at work and you choose to break the company laws well you can expect discipline and you then have no right to kind of feel I'm being so harshly treated by God this is so unfair that's something that's justified if you're in an exam and you cheat on the paper you can expect to fail and suffer the consequences and you can't complain and say oh that's so unfair How can I suffer so unjustly? There is suffering that is justified. We do things that are wrong and there are consequences. Or we make wrong choices. We can decide, it's Sunday night, most people might have work tomorrow morning, you can decide to stay up late and watch a movie or or stay surfing the internet for a while and you end up sleeping in because you've gone to bed too late. And you might get disciplined from uh, your work. Well, again, you've made a wrong choice and it brings consequences. As a student, you have the option to be diligent and studious uh, about your coursework, or you can go out partying and stay out late and kind of push the books to one side. And again, if you find that at the end of a year you don't get the grades you were looking for, well, you can hardly protest and say that was really unfair if you've been making unwise decisions so there is some suffering that is entirely justified because we've made wrong decisions and our response to that is to repent and to learn that's not the suffering that Peter is talking about he is talking about suffering that is unjust again in verse 19 he talks about it He says, it's commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. There were people who were getting a hard time who were suffering because they were Christians. And Peter says, submit to that knowing that it pleases God. He told them to endure and that God would be honoured as they suffer well remember jesus on the sermon on the mount said love not just the people who are like you but love your enemies and sometimes those in authority over us can seem like our enemies they can be hostile to us or they can take a dislike to us and they can find problems with us because of our christian values and then we have to submit Even if it involves suffering, our goal is to honour God by suffering well, to use suffering as an opportunity for the gospel to go out, for God to be glorified. That's not easy, is it? It all sounds really quite difficult. And I think that's why Peter moves from telling them to submit and to face unjust suffering. He moves from that to pointing them to the example of Christ. Because as Christians, we're not going to be able to do this out of our own resources. We're looking to the resources of Jesus and his gospel and his grace. And that's why Peter takes us to Jesus. So let's read verse 21 again. Peter says, To this you are called, that's unjust suffering, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Christ is an example for us of submission and of suffering for the Lord's sake. He has left us an example. It's like you know when children are learning to read and they're given those uh, patterns of letters and they're, they're told the strokes so that they know how to form their their letters correctly. Well, Peter is saying to us as Christians, is like you know we're like those little kids in our Christian faith. We're not quite sure of uh, the pattern that our lives are supposed to take, and so Peter says we need to follow the example of Jesus we need to look to his life to recognize how we are to submit to suffering in such a way that God gets the honor he tells us that we should follow in the steps of Jesus Christ again maybe the picture is of a a father and a son and they're out walking and it's late at night and it's dark and the path is a little bit dangerous The idea of the child following the path that the father is walking in order to get safely home We're being told that as Christians. We have to walk the same path as Jesus So we want to follow in his footsteps So how did Christ submit? How did Christ suffer? What can we learn from his example? Well, Peter in verses 22 and verse 23 draws on the uh, prophetic uh, servant song from the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. Isaiah was given a prophecy that spoke about one who would come and be the servant of the Lord who would suffer for the sake of his people. And Peter uses the language there in verses 22 and 23. So we see that Jesus committed no sin. And no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. At the cross, unlike most of the other people who, you know, history tells us what crucifixion scenes were like. And generally, those who were dying on the cross were, you know, very angry and were shouting at the crowd and were hurling insults and curses on the crowd as a last kind of statement of anger and rebellion or whatever it was. But Jesus wasn't like that. Jesus on the cross did not respond to his abusers with revenge or hatred. Jesus kept his own teaching. The one who said love your enemies on the cross prayed for those who were killing him father forgive them they don't know what they're doing he prayed for those who were mocking him spitting on him hurling insults at him Jesus also submitted perfectly to his father shortly before the cross the garden of Gethsemane the night before the cross Jesus was very aware that he was about to take on himself God's anger at sin. Jesus knew that he was going to take the sins of his people onto himself and face God's wrath and God's curse. And he was afraid. And he went into the garden and said, if it's possible, can you take this cup of justice and wrath from me? Yet not my will but yours be done. He submitted to the Father's will. And then in some of the last words of Jesus on the cross, he prayed, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He entrusted himself to his Father. He submitted himself perfectly to the Father's will, to the Father's plan. He gave us an example of how to submit For the Lord's sake even to the unjust suffering of the cross and finally Peter draws attention to this question why why did Jesus suffer why did Jesus submit for the Lord's sake and in verses 24 and 25 what becomes absolutely clear is that Jesus submitted himself to suffering for the sake of his people He was able to go to the cross and to take all that horror and shame. He was able to submit and to suffer for his people. Verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Jesus suffered the injustice of the cross and it was an injustice. He faced mock trials and false accusations and he bore all that so that he would go to the cross to take the sins of his people on himself. Jesus was hung on a tree, Peter says, drawing on the idea from the Old Testament that anybody who was hung on a tree was under God's curse. To be hung on a tree was a sign that you were cursed by God. And so Peter is saying Jesus became a curse for you so that you wouldn't have to be cursed by God, separate from God, but that instead you could be reconciled to God. Jesus submitted himself to God's just punishment for sin. The Bible is quite clear that The wages of sin is death. And we deserve that death and that wrath and that separation from God. But Jesus in his love submitted to all that for us. So that we wouldn't have to if we trust in him. He submitted to death so that you can have life. In verse 25, for you were like sheep sheep going astray but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus came because you and I were lost and in danger and if you're not a Christian here tonight you are still lost and still in danger according to the Bible. That you are not in a right relationship with God, that you are separated from God because of your sin. But Jesus came to be the one who would rescue us, to deliver us, to buy us back so that we could be in a right relationship with God. Peter says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. It's so important for us when we're faced with situations where submitting to those who are in authority over us to be able to remember Do you know what? I'm not just doing this for the sake of it, but I'm doing this for my God. I'm doing this for the sake of the gospel. Because in showing honor and respect to those who are above us, we have an opportunity to live for God's glory, to live for God's honor. But if as Christians we're going to do that, it's important that we don't look to ourselves and just hope that we can stir up some kind of enthusiasm to instead of always moaning about our bosses, you know, to really uh, try really hard to like them. Instead, we need to look to Jesus for an example of submitting, for an example of facing suffering that brought God glory. And we look to Jesus and his cross for that sense of gratitude that we need. If we remember that Jesus submitted and suffered for us, then that should hopefully give us that sense of gratitude and sense of motivation to go and do likewise, that will give us the power, the grace that will enable us to submit ourselves for the Lord's sake. Let's pray together. Lord God, we acknowledge that sometimes uh, your word has uh, things in it that we can find uh, difficult. That maybe for uh, some of us here that we find ourselves in situations where we do struggle to submit to authority. Help us to see that we have an opportunity to do it for your sake, that we have an opportunity to, to glorify you, as we do that with the right heart and mostly help us to see the amazing example of Jesus and his submission to your will, Father, even submitting himself to that cruel and horrendous death on the cross, that he suffered all that for us so that we could be reconciled to you, so that we could be free to serve you. May the cross and may the grace of Jesus Christ give us that sense of gratitude and that sense of motivation that would enable us this week to submit ourselves for the Lord's sake. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. The Historic Church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. That's www.stpeters-dundee.org.uk. For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of solace the Centre for Public Christianity at solace-cpc.org Once again, that's www.solace-cpc.org Thanks for listening.